4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, here we go. 4 o'clock hour. I don't know about candy, but I'm here for the audience. That's uh, I just want to say that. I'm all... I'm, my number one priority is you, the people who are listening right now, and that will never, ever change. Let's get to the frenzy. Oh, boy. You know my love of golf is challenged often, candy, by the people that make up golf. And I'll just say, I guess this is just a guy having fun. But Justin Thomas, who won the PGA, went to Alabama, wanted to talk about or someone asked him about Alabama, Texas A&M on the football side. And he goes, yeah, I got a 24-hour rule. Wait, what? What's a 24-hour what's a rule? Are you aware of this? Um, I probably have some version in my own life, but I don't think it's going to be the same one that Justin Thomas has. Yeah. I've got a 24-hour rule, he says. I'm not sure what Jimbo Fisher's rule is. Oh, okay. I guess he's got to win something first before he figures out his rule. Okay. So here we have a golfer throwing his opinion in there about the A&M Alabama deal, which, by the way, Nick Saban started on multiple occasions. The second time he mentioned Texas A&M is cheating to get the 22 recruits they got. Jimbo Fisher didn't wait 24 hours, responded the next morning by flamethrowing Saban, basically saying he's not all he's described to be without saying it, that he's a terrible guy. Um, I guess the 24-hour rule is what? Take a breath. Think about things before you comment. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe he's saying that his rule is that he celebrates for 24 hours before, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. he'll only celebrate for 24 hours before he goes back to the grind again. Who yeah. knows? It could be that too. But it's interesting in here. He says, I guess he's got to win something first. Hasn't Texas A&M had a little bit of success like recently against Bama? I think you could probably ask Johnny Menzel uh, about that. He might remember. Um, uh, and on top of that, um, Jimbo Fisher, I believe, is one of five or six ac- active coaches who's won a national championship. So does he have to win as much as Nick Saban before he speaks? Or does he have the right to defend himself and, as he put it, shamelessly like nine times, his kids? Well, I think what this drives home is I will be a company man here and promote uh, Bomani Jones, the right time uh, podcast from ESPN. He talked about this uh, before the weekend that he spent some time in his life in College Station, Texas. And he basically said, look, if you don't understand these press conferences, these press conferences are for the fans. They are for the local fan bases to eat up and get their fill of. And so, clearly, when the fans are jumping in the way Justin Thomas is jumping in, then Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher have reached their intended audiences. Yeah. Um, And listen, anyone who wants is free to chime in on football 
and this rivalry. Cool deal, right? Um, but I don't know, man. There's something that bothers me about the country club 5'10", 160 guy talking trash about Jimbo Fisher because I wonder if he would say it to his face. And Jimbo's no spring chicken, but relax, JT. Relax. Relax. Everyone calm down. Just calm down. So I thought it was interesting. Nick Saban actually landed a quarterback recruit, Eli Holstein, who is a Louisiana kid. He is the number eight-ranked quarterback in the 2023 class. I think I have that right. Um, Arch Manning is going to make a decision pretty soon from the Manning clan, right? Uh, Alabama has been involved, supposedly in the final three, on Arch Manning, along with Georgia and Texas. And looks like for now, because... I don't know, man. Holstein could change his mind tomorrow. If you if you follow college football recruiting closely enough, uh, any any commits right now to me are freaking worthless because kids are flipping left and right and changing their mind and reopening the process. Um, but I do think there is something to examine here. Let's go back to Saban last week, and while Jimbo and Texas A&M got all the attention candy, uh, he did throw in this doozy about uh, HBCU football and Deion Sanders and Jack State. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, and likeness to entice a player to come to your school. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division One player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. That was kind of amazing. And a lot of people last week, Candy, thought, hey, man, that might be the most impactful thing that Saban said because uh, what a swipe there at HBCUs by saying, hey, he was a really good Division One player. Almost like, Wow. Lower himself to play that level of football, huh? I think it's going to be really interesting to see if uh, there's some negative recruiting used against Nick Saban, especially uh, when it comes to African-American recruits. Yeah, remind me again, is is Bryce Young going to Alabama for free? <laughs> well, I mean, this is, the, this is the whole thing we talked about last week. So Jimbo and Texas A&M basically are using their resources before – there, and it's and it could be clear before they get the commit or as they get the commit that that was part of the mix. But Saban, shortly after, you know, Bryce Young is on Bama's campus, proudly proclaimed, hey, he's making over seven figures from NIL. So now we're down to parsing when the kid is allowed to get the money that you've been funneling to the kid for years and years and years. Right. It's just right. you don't have control of the money anymore. That's the problem. That's what Nick Saban hates. Nick Saban hates that he doesn't control the process anymore. He doesn't control that money. That money comes from places that Nick Saban can suggest how you spend. Nick Saban can't pull those purse strings. Nick Saban has no say over what that kid does to get that money or what the booster does to decide who gets the money. Uh, NFL news, not a whole lot coming down right now. June 1st is going to be the uh, kind of the... The big line is uh, guys are going to be cut after that. Veteran players, more of them will be available. But Baltimore actually signed a veteran defensive back, Kyle Fuller. So they've now got Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Kyle Fuller, Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, uh, Hamilton, the rookie, and Chuck Clark. That sounds pretty good to me. And I keep thinking during this Raiders offseason that they addressed some areas of need. But are you comfortable with the mix they have right now at defensive back 
So we had an interesting discussion over on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio yesterday talking about which area of the roster has the most to prove this offseason for the Raiders. I suggest that it's the offensive line. Uh, DeMond Cotton over there said that it is the secondary. And I can't argue that much uh, with DeMond saying it's the secondary because what saved the secondary last year? Two things saved that secondary. One was the signing of Casey Hayward and Casey Hayward bouncing back from his one bad year with the Chargers to perform well for Gus Bradley. And the second thing was the drafting of Nate Hobbs. Those are the two reasons the Raiders secondary held up last year. Well, Nate Hobbs is back, but Nate Hobbs off the field situation suggests, are you sure you're going to get 18 games out of Nate Hobbs this year? And Rock Yassin is here to effectively try to replace Casey Hayward. And let's be honest, we have not seen top-level performance out of Rocky Yassin. That's one that we have to see whether the New England brain trust that's here can coach him up the way they have coached up a number of other defensive backs to get that performance. So no, in short, I am not comfortable with where the Raiders are in the secondary because you're counting on Rocky Yassin to grow, Trayvon Mullen to be healthy, Nate Hobbs to repeat his rookie performance and keep things clean off the field, and then what? Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, chimes in on the conversation in just a couple minutes. And uh, I want to throw it at him. I actually think the Ravens are one of the best preseason bets. This is another good signing. I think they've had a great offseason, adding Kyle Fuller today. And I think they're being slept on when it comes to the AFC and especially their division. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. When they first signed Deshaun, I said, they're going to win the division. And everybody says, well, you don't know how many games he's going to be out. No, I don't. But when history and you go back and look at some of the suspensions eight games reduced to six and things of that nature you start to say okay if Jacoby Brissett can somehow keep everything together then this team defensively can hold the fork down until Deshaun comes back Cofield and Company NFL insider Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk joins us now yeah, I think Keyshawn's wrong. I don't think the Browns can hold it together, and I wouldn't just poo-poo six or eight games with Deshaun down. We were just talking about the Ravens and signing Kyle Fuller. Miles Simmons is in, NFL expert from Pro Football Talk. Miles, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. That uh, that nice, deep voice intro, that's new, isn't it? Man, that's oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Power voice guy. We, uh, yeah. we got him for the big timers on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so Kyle Fuller to the Ravens. He may not be the Kyle Fuller of old, but I really love what the Ravens have done this offseason. And listen, the odds in the AFC North are really close, but I don't see why the Browns are favored. And I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Ravens at plus 220 to win the division. I'd agree with that. I mean, look, I, I if there were no Deshaun Watson suspension, then I think it would be very different. Um, but yeah, I, the Ravens are good. I just... There's something about the whole Lamar situation where it, it, even, you know, not considering the contract, like he wasn't playing very well for most of last year. And I think that part of that might hurt them. And, you know, he won an MVP and it's not just, oh, well, has the league solved Lamar Jackson? Is it this? Is it that? I don't know. Um, but I think the Ravens defense should be considerably better. And when you factor that in, then, yeah. I really understand why people would think, yeah, the, the Ravens are a sneaky good pick to win that division. But people are also kind of counting out the Bengals for some reason. And I, yeah. I mean, like, and I don't have the odds in front of me, but like, it, they they just went to the Super Bowl, guys. You know, that that wasn't a fluke. At least I don't think so. Yeah, they're two to one, so they're actually second yeah. in the pecking order. Browns are one, Ravens are three. Ravens are also over under nine and a half wins with a slight lean on the over at minus one thirty. 
yes, the Ravens will make the playoffs at minus 140. Candy, I'll let you chime in. What do you think of the Ravens? Uh, you know, is the Lamar thing troubling for you? I mean, it has to at least be on your mind. But at the same time, I look at the amount of games lost to injury last year and the amount of games lost to injury at key positions for the Ravens. And I say, if you're going to look at a team that has upside within where the odds are right now, I don't know that you can do a lot better than the Ravens. I actually, from about, uh, I want to say at least a month ago, I have a piece of Ravens 25 to 1 uh, on the Super Bowl just because it's one of those things where if you look at the range of where they could end up, if things go right for that offense and that defense is even reasonably fixed, then I think you're looking at a team that has a very high upside that maybe is higher than what a lot of the you know other teams in their range of the odds have. But here's the thing, though. I mean, if they're pat. In order for them to get to the Super Bowl, their passing game has to be like really, really good to elite. You can't just get to the Super Bowl in that conference without having an elite passing game because you got to think about the, the guys you're going to go up against, right? I mean, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, Joe Burrow, we can call that, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, we expect the Chargers to be among that group. So I'm not – I'm. <sighs> If I'm somebody and I'm looking at the Ravens, the, the only way I'm really saying that, yeah, they can do that is if their defense is like, you know, almost 2,000 good for the Ravens because that's how they're going to have to win. And it, it could potentially be that, right? You know, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, they're coming back. I really love Kyle Hamilton and what he did at um, Notre Dame going into the league. I think he's a great fit for that defense. So that secondary, which was 32nd in the league in passing yards last year, you know, they should be a lot better. But, I mean, who are you going to go up against, you know, in the playoffs? If you're saying Lamar Jackson and the merry band of receivers that they've got, versus Patrick Mahomes and yeah I know they don't have Tyree Kill anymore but what they've got in Kansas City right or or Lamar Jackson and Baltimore's receivers versus Josh Allen right? you know Lamar Jackson versus Justin Herbert in those key situations where you got to have it on third and 10 I, I want any one of those quarterbacks to be my guy if I if they got a pass rather than Lamar Jackson and I I, I say that and I'm like, I feel like I'm putting Lamar Jackson down, but like, I think it's just the reality of the situation and who Lamar Jackson has been as a quarterback, you know, for the last however many years. He didn't win the MVP in 19 because of his throwing skill. He, he won it because he could throw a little bit, but also because he was basically impossible to stop on the ground. And that's what made him the best offensive player in football. And so I think you look at what's left with the Ravens here and say, okay, well, have you seen that Lamar? on the ground for the last couple of years. No, you no. haven't. I mean, the, the, no, the Ravens went 14-2. and two. They got way, way behind against the Titans in the playoffs and couldn't come back because they're not built to come back from that sort of deficit. Um, I don't know that Lamar has to be at the Herbert Mahomes level, and I don't think the defense has to be at the 2000 level, but I do think both have to improve in order for them to be a contender by passing DVOA they were middle of the pack both of the last two years but I think what they've done is smart in that if Lamar Jackson is going to struggle as a guy who hits the deep ball to the outside guys well what have they done they've leaned in hard on guys like Mark Andrews and made the throws simpler for Lamar and made it so that maybe you don't have to be able to go all the way over the top all the time the way other teams can and do because if Lamar is not going to be as accurate with those passes and maybe that works for them in the same way that the 49ers have been able to make it work they're both 
you know, they're both wide zone running teams. Like maybe there is a way for John Harbaugh to put this together. I, I, I hear you. And I think that like, there's a good point there, but again, like the, the whole bills chiefs game doesn't happen last year. If one of those guys can't make passes to the outside, right? Like, you know, and now, I mean, I didn't even mention Russell Wilson in the equation. He's also in the AFC. Hell, I can even mention Derek Carr. He had, you know, arguably a better year than Russell Wilson last year. And I don't know that in those big-time situations that you're going to be able to get the same kind of juice in the, in the arm out of Lamar Jackson as you would from, from any one of those guys. And again, like Lamar Jackson is a great offensive player, but that's what I'm saying when it's, you know, you can win like that in the regular season when you're going against the Jets and then, you know, you, I don't know when they play the Browns, but if they're going against the Jacoby Brissett Browns, then like, yeah, you can beat them like that. You can beat the Steelers like that two times. I don't know if you're going to beat Kansas City or they did it last year. the Chargers. In they not in the playoffs. Like, they beat the them playoffs. last year. In oh, I'm sorry. Patrick playoffs. Mahomes is a much different player in the playoffs. Come on, he, man. I can go with not? a lot of this argument. But is not to not? not they don't they, oh, they don't beat good teams. They don't beat good teams. They beat in Kansas City. The playoffs. When oh, was I'm... the last time when, the, <laughs> the next time they beat a really good team in the playoffs with Lamar Jackson will be the first? What they need to do, I think I'll leave it here for my my points about Lamar Jackson. I didn't expect and, to talk Ravens, Ravens football this much today. Yeah. It's yeah. a great topic. It's by the way, I will also throw in they lost six coin flip games last year. And if you remember, Harbaugh, you know, eventually, you know, Staley was the guy who got most of the heat, but Harbaugh also got beat up for analytics and being hyper aggressive and two point conversions but keep going candy well they also beat detroit on like a, the r- most ridiculous field goal ever and they didn't call i don't think you're candy i don't think you're candy you're right you're right you're right my bad, don't my bad, facts, bad. Dude, don't let facts block my point because you're right there were also four more coin flip games <laughs> they won so there were four and six in coin flips but i thought i would slide it in and no one would notice ah. how dare you cofield how dare you do that sneaky, sneaky. Hey, that's you know what how about miles how about you and i unite against the real enemy sneaky cofield yeah, I think that that's actually a really good idea. This uh, just cut me off. Um, by the way, I'm out of breath because I'm not in shape to do radio. Speaking of that, um, <laughs> did you see the update on big Mac Jones? Uh, that apparently he's in better shape than he was the last couple of years. Uh, a quote from, was this Kendrick Bourne? He looks really good. His stomach is gone. Yeah, yeah, he lost a little tum-tum that he had going last year. Um, it's interesting, too. Just everything that's going on with New England and the whole, like, secrecy stuff I, you know uh, florio who obviously i work with of pro football talk has theorized that it's about you know bill belichick trying to cover for his sons so that he doesn't get pressured to fire you know his sons when they get waxed in the playoffs again or something like that and i just like i don't know i mean maybe that's true but like his son's coach off his son's his son's coach defense some coach offense and like i just don't really get like how does it give you some sort of competitive advantage of saying like, oh, we don't know, we don't, we don't really do titles. You know, the coaches work with everybody, and we don't need to call plays in minicamp. I mean, somebody, somebody, he, somebody asked yesterday, you know, do you, is there something to like calling plays and getting into a rhythm right now? And you know, he's like, what plays are we calling in minicamp? Huh. He literally scoffs. And then today. I watched Josh Allen's press conference and Josh Allen's talking about how Ken Dorsey is now the offensive coordinator of the Bills and he wants to get Ken Dorsey's voice in his helmet so that he can understand exactly what it's going to sound like when he's on the field. So it's like, 
Bill Belichick has earned the bill the benefit, excuse me, of the doubt on pretty much anything football related, right? But this is something where I'm like, I don't really know what he's doing here, and he better be right. And like I said, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. But when you are, you know, doing all this weird experimentation stuff, and it doesn't matter who calls the plays, and it's this and it's that, and we're not talking about titles, like Oh, that's just weird. 31 other teams do it differently, and it doesn't prevent them from winning the Super Bowl. So I don't really get it when it happens in New England. Well, I'll tell you what, Miles. I understand why you say Bill Belichick gets the benefit of the doubt. Uh, That benefit grows smaller every year away from Tom Brady that this team doesn't succeed. And this whole game that we're playing right now is a bunch of crap because the ones that we're speculating about who might be calling the plays – if the words Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are anywhere near the conversation, you have already lost. You have definitely given up the ghost at that point. If Matt Patricia, a former defensive coordinator, and Joe Judge, who called QB Hyde on third and long, is going to discussion. And second, oh, don't, oh, I just about forgotten about I'm all excited about Brian Dable. I'm actually... I don't understand this feeling I have as of hope as a Giants fan. And I have to think about Joe Judge again because Bill Belichick is making. Well, you know what's funny? I saw uh, a clip of some uh, NFL commentator today that I, I won't name because I'm not going to do that. But he said um, that Joe Judge is no less experienced calling plays than somebody, than the people who are in the rest of the division. And he was talking about matt lafleur and he said somebody who's uh with the jets and then he also said somebody else's name and i'm thinking what in the absolute hell are you talking about like mike lafleur has been trained under one of the best systems in offensive football in kyle shanahan and also his brother is the very successful head coach of the green bay packers mike mcdaniel also very successfully trained in the Kyle Shanahan system. Like, what are you, like, Joe Judge was a head coach, but before that he was a special teams coordinator. And before that, and they and they added wide receivers coach to his title in the last year that he was with New England. So he would be able to get more uh, head coaching opportunities. So like, I don't know what that was about. I mean, I understand, you know, like trying to be positive about people, but like, we can still deal in reality here. And the reality is, like, if Joe Judge is not only coaching your quarterbacks, he's also calling your offensive plays, that should be concerning. Like, it's just a concern. Especially after somebody you had somebody in Josh McDaniels who's done a really nice job of being an offensive coordinator, of adapting to different schemes and different things for so many years. Right? I mean, that's in Las Vegas now. I just, it's weird to me that this is where the Patriots are. I mean, like, how was there no sort of succession plan in place that was better than Joe Judge and Matt Patricia for Josh McDaniels? I don't get it. And just to put a bow on it with the with the Dorsey thing, Brian Dable wanted Dorsey to come be the offensive coordinator in New York, and the yeah. Bills denied it. The Bills yep. denied it by moving him up to be the play caller. I mean, it, it, it's so clear as day, and and it's almost like Miles that Belichick is daring us at this point to keep giving him the benefit of the doubt. Well, I guess so, and like I'm I'm going to maybe I shouldn't. I don't know, but I, I just like I said, I just I can't. I don't understand it. And like Bill Belichick has forgotten more football like yesterday than I probably will ever know. But like I said, I, I think. Sometimes things are outside the box because that's where they're supposed to be. And like this just seems like it should stay outside the box. 
Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, part of the uh, Pro Football Talk programming on Peacock. You can find him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Let's close on this, an overall sports topic, and it's from baseball. Your thoughts on Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson and Jackie Gate. This is, okay, Like this is, it's one of those situations where when Josh Donaldson says what he says and he calls him Jackie, like, it's not a racial slur, but it probably has some racial intent behind it. And, like, the thing that people say a lot of times when they are joking or making some sort of racial joke is, well, I was just joking and, like, I thought we were laughing about it and it's this and it's that. And... I've been in those situations before, man. And like sometimes when people who are white and make those jokes think that they're funny, they're not really funny. And so when Tim Anderson says, like, I told him back in 2019, you can say that to me, but we're not ever going to speak again. I kind of have a tendency to believe Tim Anderson. Right. And maybe Tim Anderson never should have said, you know, I'm the new Jackie Robinson, which frankly, I think is a little bit ridiculous on its face as well. But that doesn't mean that you get to still like be an antagonistic butthole every time, you know, you're on base. I don't do that. So, I mean, suspension, no suspension. I don't know. I don't really pay enough attention to baseball in order to really to really form an opinion on that, especially one game out of 162. Like, is that really that big of a deal? I don't know. But like. People need to just sometimes think a little bit more about what they say and the jokes they try to make because actions have consequences. And, like, you can't just say whatever you want. Miles Simmons with us. All right, we'll close out on something a little lighter, but – or is it? I don't know. Uh, steak Twitter. <laughs> steak Twitter. Oh, I think yeah, this, yes. I think this was a troll. So, last week, we had your buddy, your boss, uh, Mike Florio, send out a uh, weird-looking Wagyu steak that was uh, super, super, super rare but also had a ring of – well doneness to it today uh, national country dj sends out a picture of a steak he actually got from a high-end steak restaurant he said it was medium well and it was just slathered with blue cheese and you know what steak twitter does you throw them a steak they're like rabid dogs so what do you think of this steak well here's the thing anytime you're you're talking about a steak from a place that's like a decent good to good high-end restaurant like you don't need A1 sauce for that. Like, he's talking about, oh, it's going to be slattered in A1 sauce. Like, you're not I eating forgot about the A1 part. I forgot yeah, that. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Blue cheese, and he's like, you got to pour it on the A1. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's kind of an insult to the chef. But when, you, when you're putting A1 sauce on a steak that's from that place, like, that's not something that you're supposed to do. So, frankly, medium well means it's overcooked. Secondly, if you're putting a blue cheese on, like, um, I can understand a blue cheese crumble. It's not really for me. I just like to taste the meat, especially if the meat's well seasoned. And A1 sauce, that's a no-no. You know, you're not putting A1 sauce on a steak unless it is overcooked. And I guess if it's medium well, it's overcooked. So to each their own. But that one wasn't for me either. Um, I disagree with to each their own. Either eat the steak <laughs> the way the white people do or you're a pariah. That's it. I mean, yeah. Get okay. it right. Get it right. <laughs> These are hard rules on Cofield and Company. And uh, that's the only way I can get steak Twitter on my side is I'm very mean about this and very demanding. So, Miles, have a wonderful week until we talk to you again. That was a great spot. Thank you. Uh, you too, guys. Take care. Uh, Candy, that was a bit, right? When a national DJ sends out a picture of a steak just loaded with blue cheese, crumble all melted, and then says he's going he's gonna to finish it off with a one. He's just looking. He's looking to get the heat. It's sort of like what Mike Grimala aspires to, 
right? Mm -hmm. It's like, like Gramala mm -hmm. hopes to be that good at the game. Yeah, a Las Vegas Sun writer who sends out green meat and unseasoned potatoes all the time uh, just to get people worked up. Come on, bro. We get the bit. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Please don't talk about me when I'm gone. Oh, honey. The good show today has moved past the halfway point. We're going to get heavily into the NFL, check in with the uh, Chargers sitch in the offseason, talk about their schedule. Former Chargers receiver uh, Greg Camarillo will be on with us, who uh, does analysis now for uh, NBC San Diego for the L.A. Chargers. Did I say San Diego Chargers? L.A. Chargers. L.A. Chargers. So uh, we also had a, a great guest spot this morning on our morning show, The Press Box. Riley Smith was on. And, you know, there was a question on there that, that made me think. And for single people out there, I feel for you, because if this is the kind of question you have to answer – it blows. Candy, when is the last time someone seriously asked you, hey, Candy, do you have some hobbies you want to tell us about? Oh, welcome to the world of dating in 2022 and dealing with apps, my friend. The, the hobby question is all over the place. So Riley Smith was asked this morning. He was the special guest on the press box. Hey, let's uh, let's talk about your hobbies. You know, I don't have too many hobbies. So, you know, I watch a lot of movies, play golf and take my dog for walks. It's really not too much. You know, I try to play tennis every now and then. You know, I actually tried to pick up surfing last week, but it doesn't look like that's going to go anywhere. So I'll, uh, I'll hang up my wetsuit. And uh, I did three days in a row and I was, oh, I was up early. I really tried to give it, you know, my honest, uh, my honest try. But uh, it's, it's, it's really hard. And I never grew up skateboarding or, or doing anything like that. So it's pretty foreign to me. I think you recovered beautifully because I don't know what I would say. What would you say, Candy, on the spot? Give me some hobbies. Go. I would tell you that my hobby is the refereeing that I do, right? Like, and it's not really even a hobby. It's a second career, but it's like work. When I think about where I spend my free time, right? But it's still, all right, so here's how I think about a hobby. I think about something where I spend time where it's not my job, where I have a community of people that I like being around, where maybe it oh, requires wow. a little bit of effort that I put right. into it. For me, a lot of it fits uh, into that barrel. Look, if I were doing it just for money, trust me, you would not be seeing me invest the amount of time that I do in it. But I loved his answer when he spun it to something like golf. Golf's, golf's a hobby. And I tell people all the time that when I talk about, you know, oh, okay, well, what do you do in your free time? The dog gets a lot of it, you know, because the, the dog is going to be a nightmare if i don't walk them four or five miles a day and that takes up you know a good couple hours by the time i do that and maybe toss the frisbee to him at the dog park for a little while so that's 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 me what, what about you cofield is it does your hobby have to do with the cats uh i'll give mine in the grab bag because i want to hear from sammy on the spot sam panniotovich is coming up a couple minutes but i'll give it in the grab bag um and i will not mention slicing meat because that's one i've talked about before but what are your hobbies when you get older and you just work a lot? It's kind of pathetic when you start thinking about what you do to just relieve a little stress. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's 
Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Sam Penny out of it. Nesson, Fox Sports. This guy's got like uh, 40 jobs. I named two of them, but he's uh, got a lot of legs within those jobs, a lot of branches within those jobs. I'm going to put you on the griddle right now. If someone asked you what your hobbies are, Sam, what would you say? <laughs> Doing Cofield and Company. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Drinking of- liquor. We're all in the communications biz, and I like the drinking liquor part, yeah. And uh, someone asked the, what your hobby is, and then all of a sudden you're like, should I mention it? Do I have any? Like, what do I say here? I would say it's shutting off sports during weekends that aren't football. Like, it's a very bad answer to a very good hey. question. You know, during, I would say, from September through even the Super Bowl, it's every Saturday and Sunday, like, on the couch watching something per the 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 uh description of the job i guess but uh i've been doing a lot of uh a lot of deep dive music stuff been uh trying to learn boston inside and out with uh covid going away and now i guess coming back i don't know i i guess i don't have a life is what i'm getting at i think you do actually if you if you follow sam up on twitter at sp shoot you're all over boston i think that's an important part is to you know when you're new to the city to learn the city how, how are the nesson gambling shows going so far it's been a great start, man. I'll tell you what. Um, first two shows, we do a, a 1 o'clock Eastern show and then a uh, television show. The first one's on digital, com, but the second one is on TV, and it's at 5.30 Monday through Friday. And I'm so impressed with our team and the crew, the look of it, the feel of it, the chemistry. I think you know the results are always going to be a roller coaster, wins and losses, and you know, the, the key is to have strong content that educates and informs. But more than anything else, it's a TV show. It has to look good. It can't just yep. be three people sitting at a desk. We've got these interactive monitors and, um, you know, these bookends and these curves and trying to bring a studio to life with information that always moves. It's not the easiest task in the world. And our crew has done an amazing job. And I think that's the most important takeaway. This looks like a show that belongs. It looks like something that that I would watch. And that's not just because I'm on it. It's because it aesthetically looks appealing. And that's sometimes more than half the battle, man. How much did you do on the collapse of Pereira at the PGA? And I know you found someone who had a monster ticket, but did not hedge. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this ticket's out there and Rufus Peabody's a friend of mine. He had a big bet on Pereira. I think it was uh, 300 to one odds at Circa. And the ticket would have won Rufus $300,000. No, $150,000. I'm sorry, $150,000. The ticket was 300 to one. And, you know, Rufus has the capital. He's got enough money. He doesn't really need to hedge. And he's not going to hedge off of what he perceives to be a good bet. And going into that Sunday, he thought it was a good bet. And he was right. It was a good bet. The other thing with a guy like Rufus and people that bet a lot of money for a living is they can't get down enough to make the hedge worthwhile. But what I was talking about this week on our shows, if you have a $10 bet, let's let's say the average better on Mito Pereira is five to $10, call it 10 at 150 to one at most sports books. That's a $10 bet to win $1,500, okay? So if you have 10 to win 1,500, how do you not, knowing that, that $1,500 is a lot of money for you betting $10 a game, how do you not bet $20 on the next five golfers going into round four? I'm not talking about live betting 
I'm not talking about firing after the eighth hole or whatever, getting a relatively decent number on golfers two, three, four, five, and six at, you know, respectable odds for 20 bucks a pop. Now, if none of those golfers come through and Mito wins, you still win the 1500 minus the five golfers at 20 apiece. So you still make $1,400. I just don't know how somebody who, who bets 20 bucks or 10 bucks on a golfer isn't hedging off a ticket like that. That was my point. I'm not saying Rufus is right or wrong because at the end of the day, it's up to Rufus if he wants to hedge or not. But I think most bettors that bet a little to win a lot should hedge. That's my perspective. Sam Paniotovich with us. All right. What are we doing in the NBA? Because now we have some uh, some rumors out there with the Celtics and the Heat. So how do we approach this thing? <sighs> I got a text about 30 minutes ago from a source I really respect, and it simply reads, sounds like Miami has a COVID issue from what I can hear. And this is something that I, of course, can't confirm. I'm not saying that it's 100% accurate, but this is not somebody just making stuff up. So I'm not trying to confirm what Miami will never say. They'll never say, oh, yeah, all of our players have COVID. So now you're trying to pretty much dive inside sources around the heat reporters uh you know things like that like what can you find out and i i can also tell you steve i know you got the text and i also texted some bookmakers and the variety of responses is alarming the first was yeah heard something like that the second was oh my god seriously question mark and the third was wtf in all caps so that just proves that the books have no idea what's going on <laughs> with this covid stuff and, you know, if it comes out, and this is, of course, a hypothetical, if it comes out that Jimmy Butler has COVID, well, like the sports books don't know what to do. They don't know how far to move it because if they move it too far, it's that thing where if you move too far, then there's going to come a position the other way because Boston's currently like a one-point favorite, one and a half depending on where you shop. If Jimmy Butler's out, it's just say it's Jimmy Butler. Again, this is not tangible. If it is Jimmy Butler, though, how far do you move it? If I'm Jeff Sherman or Chris Andrews or, you know, whoever, Chuck Esposito, do I move it to five and a half? That sounds like a lot because then you're going to get that money coming in on Miami plus five and a half. You can't move it to seven. You can't move it to eight, nine, ten. That's insanely stupid. But do you move it to four and a half or six? And then are you ready? Are you prepared for the comeback the other way? It's a fascinating conversation, man. We don't have enough time in this segment to talk about how or unprepared, rather, a bookmaker is for a mass exodus via COVID. Like, one player is okay. What if it's three players? How far do they move it? They have no idea, and they will tell you that. Sammy P's with us, Chicken Dinner Podcast, and, of course, his uh, main gigs are uh, Nesson and Fox Sports. All right, GSW and Mavs. I mean, this little one looks like it's over, but we got at least a game tonight. What do we do? <laughs> Well, don't lay the series price on the Warriors. I saw the Dubs minus 10000 to win the series, which, of course, means you have to lay $10,000 to win 100 I would not be advising you to do that. Look, man, I've tried, tried to talk myself into this Dallas side. I thought, you know, I could bet them first quarter. I could bet them first half. I could bet the game. I could take Mavs minus one, and I just I couldn't, I couldn't pull the trigger. I couldn't do it. Because I, I think the Warriors are winning the championship. I've said that on your show for about a month now. I don't really want to bet against a team that is clearly better, that can smell blood, 
I, I looked at Mavs long and hard. I, I tried to do it. I just couldn't get there. I mean, would you bet Dallas right now? Down three nothing? No. No. And I, I get the play. Psychologically, I get the play. You know, they're down three nothing. You know, they're gonna give it their all, but what if they're down tw- what if Steph Curry has twenty five in the first half? <laughs> That's a possibility. And I know this is one of your favorite quotes. You know, Andrews told me this a long time ago at the South Point. He's like, if you must win, you must not be that good. And I think there is some truth to that. I really yeah. do. Yeah. You know, Dallas could win this game. I, I'll tell you what, I would like it more if David Stern was the commissioner because he would find a way to get Dallas to win this game. But I don't I, – I, do I really want to bet against the best team in basketball? Not really. All right, Sam. I want to close on this one. Candy, can you explain the uh, deal with the offshore connection to an elite NFL reporter? And I want to get the take from the watchdog. He's a gambling watchdog now. So we put this story up at LegalSportsReport.com earlier today. It's from some things that we had seen floating around in the Twitterverse last week. But tweets started popping up from former ESPNer, who's now with CBS Sports, Josina Anderson, where she was just randomly tagging the seemingly Bovada, uh, an offshore sports book, in some of her news tweets. And then we were also seeing that she was hosting a regular series of interviews with players that was sponsored uh, by Bovada, a very popular offshore sports book. And so we went into the reporting process of writing a story about this. And since the time we asked the question, which did not get an answer from Josina Anderson from CBS or from Caesars, which has a major partnership deal with CBS. None of them answered. But since that time, we also have not seen any more Bovada tag tweets from Josina Anderson. So we put up this story earlier today uh, at Legal Sports Report. Well, first and foremost, I am terrified for the day that you do a deep dive into me. That's going to be I I won't be able to sleep for like a month. Um, I I mean, there's look, I can't I don't know what Justina Anderson tweets. I don't even follow her on Twitter. But what I have come to know about people that are tagging certain sports books and only certain sports books, just from my limited experience in being Batman for gambling Twitter, um, usually (laughs) there's something going on there. You know, I, I, I go out of my way to try and showcase the entire landscape. I'll show book X, Y, Z. But when there's somebody that is only using one specific sports book, usually, usually, I hope I'm using the right word, usually there's a reference bonus or a kickback or something in some way, shape, or form. I don't know that. I'm just, I'm spitballing because that's what I do when you ask me a question like that. But there's a reason that this person is only using that sports book. If there's no variety and it's somebody that hasn't, I'm going to guess before 2021, Justina Anderson wasn't tweeting any sports book odds or lines. I think I, I, I feel pretty confident about that. All of a sudden, we just start, yeah, all of a sudden we just start seeing Bavada, 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 Bavada. Something, something doesn't add up. So I guess that's my response to it. I'm, I'm looking at the piece right now. I'm going to read it when I log off, but. Something's going on. I mean, why else would would you promote an offshore book? Sam, great spot. We appreciate it. Thank you. And just so you know, I emptied my account on the Celtics minus one and a half. All right. Hey, you were better than I was. You were better than I was. I promise. (laughs) I'll see you. There he is, Sam Paniotovich. 
Chicken Dinner Podcast. Uh, you can watch his uh, gambling shows online with Nesson. They just introed two new shows. Big Five is on the way as we'll uh, get back into what the hell is going on with New England and the secret OC.